monumental sports and entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And we are here. Yes, we for are. Better, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer. Well, you got the second part of that right. <laughs> <laughs> Stan the Fan and Craig Ice back together again here. How are you? On this 23rd, right? Is it the 23rd? Yeah, 23rd. 23rd of December. Yeah. Now you're good. Now we're good. You're good to go. All right. You're joining us on the Batter Round. And we'll be here for the next two hours talking about the great game of baseball and all manner of baseball topics. And as I share, I got that done pretty quickly this week. As I share the show, uh, we get underway on this holiday edition of the Batter Round. And uh, joining us today will be Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com, Mel Antonin of MassInSports.com. And then we're going to run an interview we did yesterday when I sat in for Glenn Clark. We had on a former Orioles um, pitching development, uh, minor league uh, pitching instructor, uh, Rick Peterson, okay. who, who kind of ran the minor league pitching of the Orioles for about five, four years, five years, 12 to 16, I think. Uh, and then... Uh, Craig, why don't you tell our listeners who we've got very interesting guests for the last 20 minutes of the show. Well, we're going to talk to Preston Palmero, who is the son of former Orioles first baseman, Raphael Palmero. Not the grandson. Not the grandson, but the uh, son of uh, Raffy. And uh, Preston uh, had a pretty good first year with the Delmarva Shorebirds uh, last season. We'll see what he's expecting coming up this season. He most training. likely would go to Frederick if all, if all is, is. I would think so. Yep. You know, and uh, again, you hear mixed reviews about how many people think he has a shot, how many people think he doesn't have a shot. Uh, I saw him play a little bit with the Shorebirds last year. Granted, it was a very small sample size, right? But we did have him on this program. Uh, from down in Salisbury uh, last year, or earlier this year. I think that was one of the weeks I was away. Right, and uh, we we talked a little bit about his development as a ball player and uh, his opportunity with the Orioles in the organization. Uh, But the other reason we wanted to have him on was because recently there have been some stories written about Raphael Palmero. Uh, about being 52 years old now. and I thought it was 53, not may, to maybe, split hairs. Maybe, yeah. maybe 53, but uh, to see whether or not he is interested in making a comeback. So we'll get Preston's take on that. So we've got the youngest and the oldest That's of the right. Palmero family. And, and Patrick's a pretty good ball player, too, the elder son. Yep. Uh, he was, last I heard, he was playing in Southern Maryland. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see exactly where he is right now. Now, Preston is the younger son? Yes. Okay. And how old is Preston? Like 20? I want to say, yeah, 20. Okay. Yeah, All but, right. I mean, well, his numbers for a 20-year-old. That's how you can tell you yeah. are getting old is because these two kids I used to chase around the field at Camden Yards all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you've had a long history of chasing little kids <laughs> yeah, around. Yeah, right. That's really good, Stan. That's, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, all all notes and cards and letters should be addressed to Stan the Fan, care of press box. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh-huh. Thank you, sir. Um, since you were last here with me, 
Uh, we've <laughs> it was had, fabulous. Yeah, I'm sure two, you've had a good those couple two weeks. Two weeks were fabulous. <laughs> now you're back. Yeah. By the way, we've got uh, we're, we're losing Bonza. We're losing Bonza. Yeah, it's, that's going to be the not, name it, of my book. It's Lo- not, it's losing not that, Bonza. It's not that much of a loss. Come on now. It is. It no. is. It's very. What's the band aid for? You you guys can you guys what's can do the, it yourself. What's the band aid? You get in a fight? Uh, sure. Yeah, it was, I was a really say tough that, fight. The, the line when anybody ever asks you that, the line is always, "And you should yeah. see the other guy." <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that from mom, now on. Did hey, mom yeah. slap you? Not this time, no. Okay. All right, Dad. Uh. Oh, I touched on it. All right, yeah. let's move along. All right. Anyway, Bonds is going to be here with us through January the thirteenth, we believe. Okay. And then he's off to his career at Washington and Lee. Congrats. I'm just glad you got the name right this time. Yeah, called it Williams and Lee last week. I was no. thinking of Williams and Connolly. No, William and Mary. That's you know, what that's, I was thinking. I mean, that's of, probably actually, what you're thinking. But it's uh, Washington and Lee. A great, great first job. Uh, we wish you much luck there. And appreciate it. We'll, we'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll put me in the show one time, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> You've been on the Absolutely. show quite a bit lately. Absolutely. Uh, evolved very nicely on this show. Um, we, we need a young person here every once in a while. That's right. We do. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Offsets the two of us. <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, so the Orioles go to to winter baseball meetings and do this nothing. year in Orlando. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's well, discuss that. Say, yes. So they did a like a they turned on a dime. They went from the fact that uh, weren't going to talk about wanted, we like Zach Britton, we like Manny Machado, to all of a sudden by Wednesday, I guess when Plan A wasn't working out, um, they said, you know what, we're going to open up the bidding on uh, Manny Machado. I said at the time they're not going to trade Manny Machado because um, they're not going to get that great an offer for him because he's only got one year left and there was going to be no window granted by some the Phillies or the or the uh, Houston Astros uh, the Cubs to negotiate with him right. because he's not planning to negotiate until he becomes a free agent which is his right. And I think he's smart to do that. I think he's smart to do that, too. Plus, the other thing you keep hearing is there were offers from the Cubs and the Cardinals and a few others, and, you know, the Orioles don't want him to go into the East with the Yankees and the Red Sox, uh, and and they wanted to make sure that whoever they trade him to uh, just isn't for a short-term fix until he becomes a free agent where he flips to either one of those teams. But how can you do that? The Orioles can't assure that. They can't assure that. Right. So now now we're hearing hearing is the offers aren't aren't as good. good Right, exactly. And that's what what, we heard with Zach Britton at the trading deadline. Right, and then as fate would have it, Zach is out there working out, and then he winds up uh, rupturing his Achilles tendon. Right. And so that's a six-month deal at the very least. So, you know, you don't expect him back until probably the All-Star break, if not longer. So, you know, unfortunately for him, because he's in the walk year, you know. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's, to have, to it's have, a bummer for both the team it, and the player. It's a bummer for both sides, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not the way he would like his Orioles career to end if it has to end. Right. I think there's a unique opportunity there. Um, I don't think Zach Britton is going to be able to come back and pitch long enough. Now, by the way, by Friday, yesterday, there were talks that or, or some that this thing went very well. And this could be a five. God. This could be a five-month thing, which might put him back 
more like June 15th, okay? Right. So let's say he comes back June 15th or July 15th, does not pitch all that well, which would not be hard to imagine from coming back from an Achilles. That's something he's got to get used to working up to. So now let's say his earned run average is 4.2, okay? Not horrible, but not 0.57. Not Zach Britton-like. Right. Yes. Who do you think more of the risk is on this coming season? Zach Britton, that that could happen, or that he signs a contract with the Orioles that pays him like four to five million for this year, and say eight or nine million for next year, but he gets guaranteed thirteen to fifteen million dollars. Which would you do if you're Zach Britton? Again, I don't think you're betting against yourself long term. By accepting that, I think what both sides would be doing is saying, you know what, we don't really want to pay a closer $14, 15000000 million a year, but for another year of Zach Britton, we'll throw in $4 million to $5 million this year. And well, well, it's a lot like, in my mind, it's a lot like Matt Wieters taking the qualifying offer. Right. You know, at, and at that time, the qualifying offer was whatever it was, $17 million. Well, but here's the, here's the difference. The Orioles are apparently run the risk of being obligated, uh, if they tender him, they have to tender him at that figure of $12.2 million for right. this year. Or they can opt to release him um, and try at, to by resign. a certain date. Right. Uh, well, he'd be a free he'd agent. He'd be a free agent. But they could also tear up the 12.2 tender and offer him 4 to $5 million. It's almost like what the Cubs are doing with Drew Smiley and the Twins are doing with Pineda. Guaranteeing him some money on the on the cheap side of a because he's only going to pitch a couple months this year. Yeah, I think his agent and he would be his agent Scott Poros. That's not a bad alternative to lock in fifteen million dollars. I'm not in Zach's bank book. I don't see what he's got, but he hasn't earned a fortune. No, but fifteen million dollars locks in, in my opinion, gives him some real comfort level to then work back. And at the age of 31, maybe get that three-year, $45 million deal. It might work that way, but the other part of it, too, is the other teams out there are going to look at that as saying, well, you know, we're, we're, we're going to pay you this because of coming off one injury, you get 100%, you're out working out, you tear your Achilles, that's another six months. Right. So we don't know what it's going to be like when you come, come back, back from that right. Achilles. Exactly. In other so, words, what do you think his max value will be when he enters free agency next year? If that's the way it plays out, forget what the Orioles get him for this year. Mm-hmm. Let's just say he comes in and pitches in 27 well, I, games. He's got a 4.4 I think ERA. a lot of that I think a lot of that's going to de- be determined by Scott Burrows. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I what do you think coming back from Achilles his value is not going to be what it was under normal well, What do you wear. think it is? I think I think it it would behoove them to entertain a one year nine, 8 or oh, 9 the million. Orioles, yeah, but I'm just talking about what, what do you think it is for that's what I think he gets. I think he gets no more than a one or two year deal at eight or to, nine million dollars. Yeah, to, to prove himself again. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's now you can also you can also load that with incentives too. You could do that. You yeah. could do that. All right. Anyway, uh, that's that's the nature of what's going on. The Orioles still at this point in time have Manny Machado. They still have Zach Britton. They've got very little else. 
to show for the off ever, season. Yeah, did you listen to much sports radio at all this week? Uh, not a lot. Uh, I, I, almost almost every host on every show was bashing the. No, order. no, no. Almost every host on every show comes out of the break and says, "Manny Machado is still an Oriole." <laughs> Yeah, well, he still is, and uh, that one doesn't look like it's going to change right now. No, it doesn't, and uh, I, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Manny's an Oriole for yeah. another, at least until the All-Star break. Right, but it gets back to the Orioles sort of straddling that line between trying to move on and contend, and I would maintain that well, Manny what would happen... But Manny or no Manny, to be able to contend, they need to do something with this pitching staff. Right. Which they've done absolutely nothing with so far. Right, exactly. And so. I think they've missed a couple opportunities there. I think that Mike Fears, although not a stud pitcher, I think he was worth a little bit larger effort by the Orioles on the two-year deal right? Um, than, than basically probably throwing him a little pittance above – what he was going to get next year for the Astros. Uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway. All right. I, I agree with that. And, yeah. you know, but they, they've got to do something. And I, I know a lot of what you do, not just during the GM meetings, but also the winter meetings, sets the stage for what you're likely to do uh, or hope to do later on in the in the offseason. And right. keep in mind, yeah, between now – and the middle of February until pitchers and catchers report, and you also have until the beginning of the season starts. I mean, the one good bit of news for the Orioles is that they haven't been left at the gate with no options right. left at this point in time. The main pitchers, uh, Lynn, Cobb, and so on and so forth, are still available. I'm not here. No I just personal want you to know. calls, Bonza, no personal calls. <laughs> Um, we are the bat around. Again, Rich Dubroff is going to join us, and he is joining us right now. Rich, are you there, my friend? Uh, yes, I am, Stan. How are you? Good, good. How was your trip out to the great state of Michigan? Uh, it was cold. It was cold. All right, all right. Any snow? Not cold and snowy. All right, good. That's all what right. we like to hear. But now you're back in the uh, warmth of your hearth of your home. There you go. All right, uh, Rich. When we last chatted with you. Uh, there, there seemed to be some momentum, and the phrase you used is they're so far down the road on this that uh, you really felt the Machado deal was going to happen. But uh, no, no sooner were those words out of your mouth than the club did an about-face claiming it didn't like the offers. Do you think the club didn't like the offers or Mr. Angelos didn't like the offers? Well, you know, I, you know Dan Duquette is uh, – Dan Duquette has – pulled offers off the table before. Right. I mean, we heard that, you know, we heard that two years ago with Chris Davis uh, at this time of the year. We heard that with Mark Trumbo. And then both of those deals got done, uh, you know, a, a month later. And so I would not be surprised if, uh, you know, if they revisited the Machado, uh, if they revisited the Machado deal. You know, so. it's, it seems like of all the teams, the, the one team that put out a respectable offer, but it, it missed the target of what the Orioles were going at, was the reports that the Cubs were talking about Addison Russell, the outfielder uh, Almora, and starting pitcher or pitcher Mike Montgomery. Montgomery. Um, but that's not what the Orioles are looking for out of Machado. <clears throat> well, you know, they, they want, you know, two, they want two, <clears throat> sorry, Sort of younger pitchers, right? Uh, who are controllable? And Mike Montgomery is an you know Mike Montgomery 
I think, is one of those guys who, on a good team, is a, uh, you know, is a fifth or sixth starter. And, you know, and I think even on the Orioles, he's, you know, a guy who you would say was more of a fourth or fifth starter. They're, they're looking for somebody who's, uh, you know, controllable for a number, you know, who's controllable for a number of years, looking probably for two players like that. They don't really, Almora, well, he's fine, but they don't really need an, you know, they don't really need an outfielder. And then with Russell, well, what's the, you know, what do you do again with Tim Beckham? Right. So a deal like that may, you know, sort of cause more problems than it solves. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Montgomery is a guy who's talked to the Cubs and said he wants to be a starting pitcher. I had him as a – I thought the the way I was reading the tea leaves were that the Orioles were going to trade Machado, the Cubs were going to swoop in and sign you Darvish, and then I thought the Cubs and the Orioles were going to get together on a Zach Britton trade for Montgomery, a very young pitcher, uh, a double-A pitcher, um, and throwing in this Rule 5 guy – it, like allowing him to not be a Rule 5 guy anymore, that they would have traded the rights to uh, Pedro Orojo, is it, that they picked up well, in actually, Rule 5? I don't think you really can do that. I thought we uh, talked about that, and you could do it until well, the season it, it, starts. It would be if they if it, he would have to go through Waivers. every other club. He would have okay. to go through every other, right. other club first. Okay. Well, I'm glad I didn't write that. Um, but lo and behold, I'm about 90%. Well, see, Stan, it's good to it's good to hear that even you know in the middle of December your fantasy baseball mind is it never rests. No, it's a fantastic baseball mind, not a fantasy baseball mind. <laughs> uh, but no sooner had I got, I'm serious. I had ninety percent of that article column written, and I get a call from a friend of mine who works for the club. And he says we're not trading Machado, and I said what. He says, uh, oh, you know, Peter's not going to – he's not authorizing a trade of Machado. And then well, the next day, know, maybe, the next day, Britain's gone, so I'm glad I didn't submit that column. Well, you know, maybe uh, maybe the – you know, if the, the offers just to me that I read about right. were not – you know, they were waiting for one that kind of knocked your socks off, kind of like uh, a deal where the uh, Cubs gave the Yankees some really good prospects for – for basically three months of her oldest Chapman. Right. And so they were waiting for a, you know, they were expecting an offer or two or three like that. And, you know, it's interesting because I thought that maybe if, you know, because they were doing it now, that they would have a lot more offers from a lot of different teams, maybe, you know, non-contenders like the White Sox who wouldn't necessarily make an offer at the trading deadline. But, you know, and on the other hand, maybe maybe teams are so desperate at the trading deadline, then they overpay. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, if he ends up starting the season with the Orioles, I, I think it, it creates uh, you know it creates a lot of issues. It's it's a distraction. You know, he's going to be asked every time. You know, he's going to be asked by everyone who comes in. Oh well, you know, uh, had, you know, you think you'd like playing in Kansas City. Uh, how would you like playing in Cleveland? How would you like playing in San Diego? That sort of thing. And uh, I, I think that, you know, I, I think it's best, as I expressed last week, I think it's just best for all, you know, all, parties, all parties to involved. move on. Yeah. Well, let, let, me ask, let me ask you this, and I'll pull a Bill Latson out here. In your heart of hearts, 
Do you think Manny Machado is an Oriole come opening day? No. Okay. I mean, I didn't think he was going to be. I, I thought that there was a good chance he wasn't going to be an Oriole today. But I, I think that, you know, I think that someone will make a deal. Well, you know, let me ask you. The, you know, after the holidays. Let me ask you and, a question, Rich. Why do you think the club they did this with the Chris Davis thing a couple of years back? Why do you think it's necessary for them to go public with this? Uh, well, we're pulling that offer off the table, uh, or in the case of Chris Davis or this thing, we've we finished uh, talking about Manny Machado trade. Uh, we're we're uh, that's no longer going to happen. Why do you think they need to to put that information out there when it's really not true? Well, I don't know. You know, it's all a lot of this, of course, is gamesman. You know, is gamesmanship, mm-hmm. and you know. Getting uh, uh, getting fans in other mar- you know, getting fans in other markets, maybe the uh, or agents to to uh, uh, to show that there's interest in their, you know, to show there's interest in their clients. It's just, you know, I I don't put as much into it. I don't read as much into it mm-hmm. because I I know that that's part of the, you know, I know that that's part of the deal. Let me, uh, you know, maybe Dan, you know, Dan thinks that he's going to get better offers this way. And he well might, you know, he right. well might, you know, if somebody goes and gets injured, you know, a, a shortstop or third baseman uh, goes and gets injured working out, then, uh, you know, maybe there's another team that, that that's desperate for Machado. Let's move off of Machado for a second. And the, the club, uh, you know, the, it's like the old bb king song uh or was it albert king song uh albert king played for maryland now who was the other blues performer wasn't his name albert king too no it was bb king if it wasn't for bad luck i'd have no luck at all uh the zach Britton injury do you see any opportunity here for now although it's not like a positive that the orioles could turn around and sort of make this work to include Britain uh, in some way, shape, or form for 2019? I don't I, – I think it's probably not in any – I don't know that it's in anybody's best interest to do that. You know, because you, what you hope, I guess, is that um, is that Britain's back in six months, which is the end of, uh, you know, the end of June, and he's around for uh, hopefully all of July. And if he pitches well in July – uh, again, maybe he uh, creates a maybe he creates a market for himself, um, but I, I don't know that that's uh, that that just seems that just seems kind of far fetched to me. Well, you know, it's interesting. The Cubs the signed Drew, happen, the, I mean, the Cubs signed Drew like, Smiley to a far fetched contract of that, where he's only going to pitch two to three months this year, but they have him locked up for the following year. And the Minnesota Twins did the same far fetched thing with Michael Pineda. Uh, why is it so far fetched? Okay, because they got uh, they got Pineda for uh, for not very much money, and he was a free agent. Zach Britton is not a free agent, right? Zach Britton is Zach Britton is going to be given a very large salary for 2018, no matter. So what. he's going to get the 12.2 million from the Orioles, not, or something, or maybe less. Okay. I mean, the tw- MLBTradeRumors.com has estimated that uh, Britain is going to get twelve point would get twelve point two million dollars right. in, uh, in in arbitration. It doesn't mean he will. That's just their so, estimate. But he so let get, me let me just ask he, you. So there are three options. One, he gets that estimate. 
two, the Orioles would release him, refuse to pay him anything, uh, or three, they could negotiate a new salary for 2018? Well, they can't negotiate. Okay. There are complications with all of them. Okay. It's a very, it's, it's a bad situation for all, and it's a bad situation, obviously, for all involved. Yeah. If they released him, you know, I was reading the CBA, and they would they would have to uh, give him thirty days. Okay. Uh, you know, based on last year's salary. Okay. Thirty days of last year's salary, because they haven't negotiated, they haven't come to an agreement okay. on this year's contract. But one of the clauses in the CBA says that he can a player can be uh, released because of bad performance. It doesn't say anything about injury. It, it sort of indicates that if a player is training right. for the season, the club is obligated to pay him. Okay, I got you. And, um, and, and you know, and, and Britain and Britain could grieve that if they released him. And I don't know that that's uh, in you the know, best I don't know interest. That that's yeah. a good deal All because right. he is arbitration eligible, and they tendered him a contract they have to you know they're, they're going to have to pay him you know so have they tendered have they tendered him rate. a contract yet yes okay they tendered I, him a contract okay on uh you know no later than i think it was december 2nd okay if this injury had happened you know november 20th right then they could have non-tendered him and then nothing you know nothing would have happened and as for you know working on a new deal, yes, it could happen, but I think it is very. I think it's you know it, it's a possibility, but I. But think the way you the way you describe the the options, it's uh, clear that it is more far, no more far fetched. No, yeah, there's there no, good, no option. good option here. Right. There. All right. Now that we know that Britain is down for an extended period of time, I guess that also excludes now a Brad Brock kind of a deal, right? I would think the Orioles Not, need to hang him on to him. Not necessarily. Okay. Because because if they think, you know, if they decide, well, gee, Britain's down, and the, and they and they do end up trading Machado, and they do say, oh well, you know, let's retool here. Um, they have, you know, they they have an interesting option in Michael Gibbons as a closer. Correct. With Brad with uh, Darren O'Day as a um, uh, as a backup, but I would think for now that they would keep. Um, for now, that they would keep Brock because I don't know that he would give the he that he would fetch what they're looking for. You know, a starting pitcher mm-hmm. in uh you know in, in a trade. We're talking to Rich Dubroff of PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, uh, let's get off the playing field for a second. Uh, two key figures in this organization: the manager Buck Showalter and the uh, Vice President of Baseball Operations, Dan Duquette, are both entering their walk year or their last year, whichever way you you shape it. Um, what is Peter Angelos, and, you're, and I know you don't have a relationship with Peter uh, where you talk to him that often, but what do you think he's thinking in that regard, and would it shock you if before this season started – there was some type of extension for both of these people. Um, I don't, you know, I don't. I'm I'm not great at predicting right. what's going to happen with you know Peter Angelos 
I mean, I remember he went and extended Dan Duquette after only one year. Right. Uh, gave him, uh, I think it was a four-year extension, mm-hmm. and gave Buck Showalter, uh, you know, an extension. Uh, but you know, I, I I don't think they're I don't think they're necessarily tied together. That you know, it's not necessarily a package deal, and that you know, maybe you know, maybe Showalter gets a, a gets an extension ahead of time. I mean, he has indicated. He indicated the winter meetings he would like to manage the Orioles beyond uh, 2018, uh, and you know whether Duquette's still there. I don't know. I mean, you know, it may it may well depend on the performance of the club this you know this season. I, I think Buck Showalter basically, within reason, can manage the club as long as he wants. Right. For, we've we've always heard that Buck wants to maybe when he leaves managing get up in the front office and run a team of his own. Is that ever a possibility with this organization? I think you know. I, I think it is. I think it is. But I think that he still has a hunger for um, you know for being in the dugout. I think that he enjoys that, and I think that a lot of the the job, the uh, you know the general manager job, he would like, and I think a lot of it he might not like. I mean, I think he would like the personnel acquisition, uh, you know, the evaluating personnel. But I don't know that he would necessarily like the negotiating with agents. You know, uh, so you know he may, uh, you know, he may well in the future have a job like that. But uh, I mean, the guess here is that in 2019, you know, on opening day 2019. Uh, He's going to be tipping his hat as the Orioles manager. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Rich Dubroff for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. So pivoting from the winter baseball meetings in Machado and Britain, uh, can you give us any insights on Dan's thinking or how the club is going to try and still tackle this you know, monumental job of improving the starting pitching? Yeah, you know, it, it is a... It is monumental, and the, when you look at the free agent market as a whole, it is astounding how little action there has been. You know, uh, you, know you know, when you look at maybe the top fifty free, the top fifty free agents, uh, you know, almost all of them are still, you know, almost all of them are still inside. All the big names. I mean, the names that we've talked about as being out of the Orioles price range, you Darvish and Jake Arietta, as well as the ones that you'd hoped were in the Orioles price range, Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn. Uh, you know, some, and you know, some of the others that the Orioles are, you know, have been linked with, uh, you know, Andrew Kashner and, and Miguel Gonzalez and Jason Vargas. Well, they're still out there too. Mm-hmm. So I think that you're going to see, uh, uh, a very frenzied January. And and that it'll continue into February, and that the club, when it assembles on on February thirteenth, will uh, you know will not be the club that you'll see uh, on opening day. That you know you'll still see uh, you'll still see players added in spring training. They've done that in the past, and I think that that that'll continue because you know there, there's been other than the Rule Five uh, additions. And uh, Jacob Brugman, an outfielder, there hasn't been, uh, you know, there haven't been any uh, acquisitions, and, and they're going to be. 
What about uh, moving away from the Orioles because it's clear we can't read the tea leaves right now? What about two former Oriole pitchers? I'm not suggesting that the Orioles are having buyer's remorse or anything like that. Uh, Wade Miley and Obaldo, have you heard anything about the two of them? No, uh, not, not, not a word. Nor do we uh, want to. <laughs> <laughs> they're, in wit- they're both in witness protection. That's for- right. Yeah. But I think that they'll, you know, I, I, I think that those are the kind of guys, those are sort of the, the tertiary guys on the market, and that a lot of them will sign, you know, yeah. a lot of them will be January and maybe early February signings, yeah. you know, elsewhere. Rich, uh, you were down there to winter baseball meetings. We know the Giancarlo Stanton deal happened just as they were about to begin. I think it came down on Friday when you guys were all arriving on Sunday, or did it come down on Saturday? But what was the buzz like down there about that deal? Well, it, it's sort of uh, you know sort of stunning, uh, you know, for the for the Stanton deal to be made. And you know, it's interesting because everybody says, "Oh, well." You know, you know the or- the Orioles and the Rays and the Blue Jays are now just chasing you know the Yankees and the Red Sox. I mean, look what the uh, look what the Yankees did. But as good a player as Stanton is, uh, it's going to matter how the Yankees pitch next year. I mean, it's certainly the Yankees have a have a what looks like a pretty good rotation, but it's going to matter how they pitch. I think Stanton. Uh, Stanton will be fun to watch, and it'll be intriguing to see how many home runs he hit and hits, and and can he and Judge, you know, combine for a hundred home runs. But uh, I think it's more important to see, you know, as I said, how the how the Yankees will pitch, and it's sort of like, oh, well, their people are already conceding the division to them. So I, I think it'll be, uh, you know, I think the rest of the winter is fascinating. And we haven't even mentioned the trade of Evan Longoria this week. Yeah. Yeah. And, and which uh, you know, he was sort of like the only. He was sort of Mr. Ray, and uh, that was uh, that. That was kind of shock. You know, that was kind of shocking that the Rays actually uh, pulled the trigger on that. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of that too is the fact that I think it's it's more than evident now that that's going to be a rebuilding situation there for Tampa. And uh, Evan said right to management, you know, I don't want to be a part of a rebuilding thing. So uh, they made the deal for him. Yeah. And, and you know, they but, but the thing is, the Rays seemingly are always rebuilding. Yeah. But you know what? They, they've had a good enough team over, over the last few years that, They've been kind of on the fringe, and they've had enough pitching where people think, yeah, if we almost, almost kind of like the Orioles in some ways, that yeah, there's just barely enough pitching here that with the guys we put on the field in the position players, we might be able to get something done. Yeah, well, it's going to be, you know, it'll be interesting because uh, you, you know you're going to have three other teams, three, you know, other than the Yankees and the Red Sox, and. Uh, uh, yeah, Toronto you know, hasn't exactly uh, accomplished much yet but, either. But even now, they, right. they, yeah, but there's talk that Toronto's management has now come out and said they're not trading Josh Donaldson. Right, right. right. So. Uh, well, you know, because maybe they look and they see what the kind of offers the Orioles got and what what the uh, what the Rays got for Longoria, and think and you know uh, because you know a lot of those teams are you know. Because the Giants obviously were were looking for a third baseman, and then that's one team that's uh, that's off the market. So, 
uh, it'll be, uh, you know, it's, gonna, it's just going to be fascinating to see, uh, to see what, what happens with, uh, with the Machado thing. And if they, uh, you know, and, and if they end up, uh, reconstituting a deal. Let's uh, let's circle back around. Uh, we could we could all take a vote on whether we think the Orioles have handled the Machado thing properly. Over and I'm going back as far back as two three years ago. Whether the club needed to make a much more bold bid to re-sign him a couple years ago, um, and we can debate that. Like I say, but it sure seems like they're doubling down on the same exact game plan with Jonathan Scope, uh, where uh, is there some finger, you know, uh, crossing their fingers and hoping that he's not going to have a great year this year? I mean, it seems like now is the time to strike with uh, Jonathan Scope trying to line him up on a, say, a five- or six-year deal. Yeah, it would be. And I think that, you know, I I actually think that they're going to look at, I think that they're going to look at that, uh, but the, the, but, they're going to get try and get the club together for for 2018, and maybe look at that, you know, around the time that uh, you know the arbitration uh, hearings uh, occur. So you think they will make one big attempt? Yeah, at, I think they will. I think they will. Okay, uh, we're talking with Rich Dubroff. Rich, we wish you nothing but a happy, healthy holiday season, and um, we'll look forward to talking to you shortly, my friend. All right, thank you guys. Thank you very much for coming on board. All right, there you have and it. And the one, the one thing I take from that segment is yeah. nobody knows what the hell's going on. Yeah, no, Rich, Rich, <laughs> and, and, who, Rich, who's not prone to, to making bold predictions. He yeah. told me last week. He said, "I think they're going to trade Machado." Yeah, you know, he said, "I think they've gone too far down the road," and he painted a scenario where the White Sox were unafraid of it being viewed as a one-year deal, they felt they had both the money and the story to convince Machado and the, and the, players, the, and the players, uh, players to, come to back. acquire him yeah. from the White Sox um, or acquire him for the White Sox. That, that, and he painted the picture that the White Sox are kind of like the red-headed stepchild of the, of the Cubs in Chicago. Right. And to be taken seriously by fans, they have signing to make this Machado, kind of move, right. they have to do something – to kind of shake themselves back into being a real entity. He had me convinced, yeah. and I guess the players didn't match up. But I think the Orioles, what's frustrating for fans is we so much wanted the 14 years of losing and what evolved after that, these these five years. To continue. To continue in a positive way. And now all of a sudden it just seems like there's this logjam that they can't negotiate out of. And sometimes you wonder if it's the owner, the general manager, or a combination of both. Well, I think history and tells you. Forces, yeah. I think history tells you it's the owner. Yeah. Uh, and from that standpoint, it did not surprise me in one iota that he pulled Machado that, that he pulled Machado off the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, <clears throat> it smelled very similar. You know, hearing the after the fact. Well, the offers weren't up to snuff. That's more or less what we heard. We didn't even hear it as as publicly, but in the uh, in the aftermath of the Zach Britton trade to right. Houston, we heard well they they didn't like the package that they were you know talking right about. now. Well, now in fairness to that, I heard the package was very similar to what the Tigers got for Justin Verlander. for Justin Verlander. But the other part of that too is 
uh, and everybody, you know, yells about the Orioles and the medicals and things of that nature. There were two guys in that uh, in that proposed in, deal in, in that proposed deal that did have some serious medical issues. You know, so maybe maybe the Orioles made the wise decision there. And certainly, for all the grief that they've taken down through the years, the Orioles have been proven to be right. They're right more times more than, times not. than there's not. There's no question right. about it. But I almost think. That they take it to the umph degree, and for Peter, that's a victory for him. Right. And I think sometimes you have to be bolder. I'm not saying you tear up the medicals and you don't pay any attention, any attention to them. Right. But, you know, um, uh, they, they at some point in time, they have to figure out how to get – there were no medical problems Back with Mike Mussina. Right. Well, you know, well, you know when I mean, push comes a, to shove. This is a long-term philosophy about how to handle pitching. Mm-hmm. And the medicals certainly are part of it. But I, I asked Dan O'Dowd two weeks ago on this show, if you're Lance Lynn, Jason Vargas, or Alex Cobb, and you've had Tommy John surgery already, are you letting the Orioles get to that point in a negotiation where they say, okay, we got a deal, now we need the medicals. That doesn't play for me if I'm their agent, right? And then that's a large part of the, that's a large part of that logjam you talk about. Yeah, as far as getting to your end result. All right. Well, before we get a logjam on the show, commercial wise, we're going to take a break, and we'll uh, let you know that Mel Antonin is going to join us right after this commercial break. Uh, I have a question for you: Chick Fil A on Sundays? Don't answer, Craig, because I've got the answer. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthdays, office, or holiday parties. But you got to act no later than Saturday to have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. There you go. And i got to tell you, just from a personal note, we had Glenn Clark's open house party here the other day on Thursday. People actually came because we plug that we were going to have Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Sure. Yeah. And then they were very disappointed when it was gone. Oh. You know. Yeah, well. I know I was. I threw a go. temper tantrum. All right. We're going to be back right after this. Stan the Fan, Craig Heist, and Bonza Tufa, although he's got a Band-Aid on his face. We'll be right back after these words. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a touching family story for the holidays as Bo Smolka profiles Raven safety Eric Weddle, a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is. Plus, 10 questions with Ravens cornerback Brandon Carr and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. FullCircleTireAndAuto.com. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. 
Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Java Now. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. PressBox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on PressBox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game, Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. They say you're only as strong as the company you keep. The U.S. Army keeps you in strong company. If you want to stand out, the Army can give you the training you need. To take advantage of the strong options waiting for you, visit GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army strong. Paid for by the United States Army. All right, we are back. Stan the Fan and uh, Craig Heist. We're the bat around guys. Bonsatufa is here. Uh, again, he's going to be with us for about three more Saturdays after this, and then he's on to his great big broadcasting career. Craig, can you predict a future for Bonsatufa? He can this go business? as far as he wants to go in this business. It's A lot of it's up to him. It's not what you know, it's who you know, as I've certainly found out during the years. And, uh, but... The, the, the bottom line to it is don't stop chasing the dream. If that's mm-hmm. what you want to do, by all means, go and do it. It's just right. so special to me that Stan said the bat around guys and Bonza. Yeah, right. We'll see. <laughs> and like I said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. <laughs> well, I, I just want to say one thing yeah. about Bonza. He knows I'm very fond of him. Doesn't get the job without the recommendation of the big guy. Okay. You know. Good enough. All right. 
<laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. So, so people called you and you lied for him, too. Is that it? Exactly. All right. Joining us right now is uh, one of our favorite people um, from just down the road of Fur Peace. He writes for MassInSports.com, and he's an analyst on their television programming. He is Mel Anton. And Mel, happy holidays to you and your family. Hey, thank you very much. It's good to be with you guys, Craig and Stan. Good to be with you guys. So, no, notice how he said that, Craig yeah. and Stan. Yeah, I okay. noticed how he said that. All right, good enough. Stan no. and Craig. <laughs> Mel. We're both legends. How We're are you? Legends. In our own minds. Yeah, how are you, Mel? How are I'm you? I'm doing well. I'm doing a bunch of last-minute Christmas stuff. You know, I got up on set this morning thinking, well... We're going to kind of sail and kind of just float into the holiday season. But, boy, there's a million things to do. Yeah, right. there is. And you're like most men then that I know. And that's 23rd. That's just about time to start the shopping. <laughs> are you shopping Are you shopping no. online, no. Mel? I or? do get the shopping done. And uh, the shopping is done early. The wrapping was done last night. We actually had a good time with that. But uh, shopping is not the last-minute stuff. It's all it's, – it's just—I don't know what it is. It's just amazing how many things come up, but not shopping. Are you a shopper? Are you an online shopper? Or do you like to go out to the stores? I like to go out to the stores, and I like because I like—I kind of feed off the energy a little bit. So, I think I wouldn't wish Christmas traffic and mall traffic on everybody, but I think it's kind of part of the season. Yeah, but yeah, I, I do a little bit of both. Hey, hey, Mel, I know your your focus mainly with MassInSports.com is a lot of Orioles and Nationals stuff, but I know you're also a national baseball writer. Um, your take on the aftermath of the Stanton trade and the town hall meeting that Derek Jeter held the other day in Miami and then uh, the commissioner coming on the Dan Libertard show and, and facing some pretty heated questioning from Dan. Well... First of all, Dan Libertard is playing to the frustration that Marlins, ha- Marlins fans have with the rebuild over and over again. It's right. about the fifth rebuild in the last 20 years. So I think those are legitimate questions. But I also think they were a bit unfair to the commissioner because the commissioner can't determine how Derek Jeter and the ownership group is going to run his team. That's just they, they can't do that. So Libertard's questioning of the commissioner in a very hostile format was not really fair because Major League Baseball can't decide, well, you're going to do this to the team so we can't sell it to you. So that doesn't make any sense. And I think, I think it's the right thing to do to, to, to make the trades and rebuild the farm system. A lot of teams have done it, but the way Derek Jeter did it was a little bit arrogant and a little bit inex- with a little bit of inexperience. He kind of came into Miami and said, look, I'm a Yankee. I know how it's done. I've won World Series titles. He had very little regard for people's feelings. He had very little regard for people's traditions in Miami. And he could have done it in a lot better way. So he kind of got what he deserved. Yeah, it sure does seem like that. His answer, I understand from a pure business perspective, viewing the the Giancarlo Stanton trade as a $265 million gift because he's – He's playing on the word that people say he gave the Yankees a gift. He goes, hey, they're saying I gave them a gift. My gift was $265 million. I'd like to make that kind of deal every day of the week. Uh, I think, you know, he may be dollar-wise and pound foolish or whatever. 
that yeah, saying is. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, the $265 million savings is nice, but we're talking about a billion-dollar industry here. Right. And the key for the Marlins is to rebuild the farm system and restock the foundation. It doesn't matter what if their payroll is $50 million or $280 million at the big league level. If they don't have a farm system, they're not going to go very far. So the business model is the right thing to do. A lot of teams have done it. The Cubs did it. The Astros did it. The Twins did it. The Yankees basically did it overnight. But it's the right thing to do, but you got to do it with a little bit more sensitivity. And I don't, I mean, the $265 million is, is great to save, but that's not going to turn the franchise around one way or the other. Yeah, it just seems like in that deal there should have been one. In other words, I, look, I trust that Gary Denbo knows where the, where the, the good bodies are in the Yankee farm system uh, now working for Derek Jeter, but it seemed like that they should have gotten one headliner a young headliner, not a Starling Castro type of player in that deal. I agree. I think that's a good point, Stan. Uh, but at the same time, what they did get is financial relief. So yep. if you would have paid a little, you know, you have to balance financial, the financial uh, side of it and the player side of it. And I think they should have paid a little bit more money to the Yankees and gotten a better prospect. I think in the long run, they would have been better. I agree with your point. Uh, the other big story, I know you were down at the winter baseball meetings and the two biggest stories of the off season, both sprung, uh, you know, and became stories a day or two before the winter baseball meetings show Otani. I know you have a lot of contacts in the game. I'm not saying you traveled over to Japan to see him, but what do you hear about this guy and then the news after the fact that he's got this sprained uh, UCLA, UCL, not UCLA, UCL ligament in his uh, elbow, pitching elbow? Well, all 30 major league teams knew about the elbow injury Okay. Uh, in the scouting report. So the Angels signed him anyway, and Billy Epler told us at the winter meetings, he's the, the general manager of the Angels told us at the winter meetings, he's not concerned about the elbow. So... It's a story, but it's not really that big a story. Otani's interesting because all major league teams have been following him for like five or six years. It's not like he just came up on the radar last year and said, we got to go get him. Teams have been following him. He looks like he's the real deal. There's not many guys that can throw a 100-mile-an-hour strike and hit 40 home runs. I don't know that he can do that in the big leagues, but I think he's going to be a better pitcher than he is hitter. I don't understand how you can adjust to the big leagues and hit consistently and well enough to stay in the Angels lineup if you're only DHing two or three times a week and then still concentrating on pitching. He we, may well be able to do both, but I think it's going to be hard uh, to be a consistent hitter just being in the lineup two or three days a week. Well, that's my whole thing, and it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they handle this going forward in terms of offsetting and the balance of him being in the lineup and contributing that way, but knowing what it takes to be able to be a dominant pitcher and make a start every fifth day uh, and and just how the offensive end of that plays into his pitching, I'm not so sure I'm convinced that that can be done. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, you know, if anybody can do it, apparently Otani can. I mean, I believe what the scouts are saying about him. Every team wanted him, and every team said, hey, he can uh, – you know, he can do this. He can go both ways if he signs with us. But I think it's an uphill battle. There's no question about it. Well, and, we, uh, we had it's a It's going to be an interesting story to follow. A couple weeks ago. going to happen. A couple weeks ago, Mel, we had on Dan O'Dowd, former uh, general manager of the Rockies and uh, with MLB Network. He said that he thought that Otani could be either a great starting pitcher 
or a great hitter, but he doubted that he could do both. I suggested something that I haven't heard at all by anybody else, and something I thought of with Nick Markakis when we heard how good he was as a pitcher, is make him as, as much an everyday player as possible, but then use him in relief in certain times that extends your pitching staff a little bit, you know, expands it from a 12-man to a 13-man staff and use them in that regard maybe 20 or 25 times. And Dan seemed intrigued with that notion. Yeah, it's possible. If you make him a relief pitcher and let him throw 60, 70, 80, 90 innings, then there's going to be adjustments on that side as well. Yeah. The thing is, the Angels lineup is, is so loaded and so full that it's going to be hard to find time for him. Yep. It's going to be hard to find legitimate at-bats for him. So I understand what you're saying, but it's it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. If you make him a relief pitcher, he's going to have major adjustments uh, coming out of the bullpen twice a week or whatever, three times a week. And if he hits three times a week, it's going to be the same thing. So it's kind of like you want to get kicked in the left knee or do you want to get kicked in the right <laughs> knee? There's going, to be, there's going to be challenges on both, however you decide. We're talking with Mel Anton of MassInSports.com. All right, let me ask you this, Mel, and, and we had Rich Dubroff on earlier. Uh, the, the, this whole offseason for the Orioles, uh, it, it just seems like they're kind of stuck in a place now with the Britain injury and also with the Machado talk that, you know, whether it's a financial thing, whether it's, you know, the fact that Britain's not going to be a part of this ball club now until at least the All-Star break, how do they, one, go about fixing this pitching staff, and two, is Manny Machado uh, an Oriole on opening day? <laughs> I don't know on that. I mean, the, the thing with Manny Machado is you have to ask the question, are the first rounds of offers from the eight or nine, ten teams, whatever, are those legitimate offers that those teams hope the Orioles will negotiate, or were they final offers? trying to take advantage of the Orioles. Mm-hmm. If if they are, uh, if it is that these teams think they can negotiate with the Orioles, maybe he can be traded before opening day. There's no way to know uh, what the market is going to bring. An injury could change the market for Manny Machado. Who knows? But you don't know if teams are just negotiating and willing to, to add to their add to their offer or not. You just don't know. Well, now, uh, I'm not, so I'm not it's saying... It's hard to predict whether Manny will be there, but my guess is, my guess is, that he will be with the Orioles on opening day simply because uh, there's so many other third base options. And um, I, I just think, I don't think the Orioles are going to get what they want now, but I think there's a good chance they'll get what they want in July, assuming he's still on the market. And I'm not saying this is going on, but no matter what the Orioles get and, and no matter what Dan Duquette negotiates in terms of what they get, is the owner seriously going to let them trade Machado? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, that's a great question. It de- you know, it depends on what the offer is. It depends on whether the Orioles think they can sign him or not. I don't think, I don't think, I think there's too many variables to decide now, but I think the Orioles have to decide if they don't believe, if they don't believe there's a serious chance that they can sign him, I'm assuming they'd have to trade him. I don't. I don't see. I don't see why that would why that would be a big issue. Let me flip over to the other side of the Manny Machado discussion, and that is this notion that I've read. Now we've never seen Buck Showalter quoted as saying 
well, if he's with us this year, he's going to be my shortstop. But I've read enough implied stuff that there's really serious talk that if because he wants to play short, they're going to play him at short this year. And that makes no sense to me whatsoever. You're, I totally agree. Well, I, I tend to agree with you as well. It's a matter of whether it'd be easier to find a third baseman to replace him there or whether they should find a shortstop to replace him there. Where overall is the best defense going to be? The Orioles manager, Buck Showalter, said at the winter meetings that they've had a lot of discussions with Manny about moving into short. Obviously, he's not going to say now what's going to happen. Right. But I get the feeling, just reading between the lines, that if he is in Baltimore when the season begins, he will play shortstop and they'll have to find a third baseman. That makes no uh, sense to me. A lot more wear and tear on Manny. Yep. But maybe if you tell Manny, hey, uh, we'll let you play shortstop in Baltimore, maybe that's one way to get him to stay. I don't know. Could be a negotiating tool. But in either case, they would have to decide, can Beckham play third base well enough yeah. or do you have to go find a third baseman? Yeah. If Manny stays at short, I would assume Beckham stays at or if Manny stays at third, Beckham would stay at short. Yeah, it just seems to me, because they did give up, albeit a young prospect for Beckham, the guy they gave up for Beckham is a pretty good pitching prospect. To me, you give up that pitching prospect to try and get your shortstop for the next five, six years, and I saw nothing that convinced me that Beckham couldn't be at least um, an adequate guy there, maybe better than adequate but with working with Bobby Dickerson. But to me, it makes no sense to sort of appease Manny uh, and help him increase his value. I'm not trying to be punitive. I just don't see where it's in the Orioles' best interest to play him at shortstop. But you... the, key, the key is, in my mind, uh, Beckham and whether or not he can focus and be responsible and make all the routine plays over six months season. Yeah. Obviously, he made quite a splash and quite an impression uh, in the Offensive. second half of last Offensively. year. Offensively, yeah. What? Offensively, yeah. Offensively. Defensively, yeah. he's got some work to do, but yeah. yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I don't really know what the answer is going to be. You know, one possibility, too, would be leave Manny at third and sign J.J. Hardy and let J.J. play short. You know, J.J. might not hit 25 or 30 home runs, but defensively he's still very good. And, boy, if the Orioles are going to have a thin starting rotation, they need all the defensive help they can get. Let me go down Let me go down a Nationals road with That's you. That's exactly very, where I was okay, going. Okay, yeah. real quick. Uh, got about three minutes they, with Mel. They wind yeah. up signing Adams uh, to basically take the place of Lind uh, as a backup first baseman uh, to Ryan Zimmerman. But the also the other big thing I thought they did uh, was re-signing Brandon Kinsler to keep that three-headed monster alive in the back end of that bullpen now. Uh, I know there's some other guys out there, Matt Albers certainly being one of them, who was very instrumental in that bullpen last year. Uh, but it looks as though Mike Rizzo's off to a good start in this offseason. Oh, yeah, he doesn't have to worry. You talk about not having to do last-minute Christmas shopping. Holy <laughs> cow, he doesn't have to worry about anything. Um, and the fact that he got Kinsler at a really good deal, yeah. I thought there would be a, more, a bigger market for Kinsler maybe as a closer because he is a guy that can save 35 games a season. But it worked out well for the Nats. They're banking on Coda Glover and Sean Kelly to be healthy mm-hmm. in pitching. So they may or may not sign somebody like Matt Albers. They probably could sign. They probably could pick up one more reliever. But, boy, to get Kinsler, Matson, and Doolittle back, it's great. You know, how many, how many games with the Nationals won, Craig, last year? Yeah. 
if they'd had a bullpen in the first half of the season. Well, that's a, an excellent point. And until they got that straightened out right along the All-Star break, uh, I mean, once that happened, you saw very, very few bullpen blow-ups, meltdowns, anything like that. I mean, if they had the lead from the sixth inning on, it was pretty much over and done with. Oh, yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible. But they would have had maybe 105, 110 wins. Yeah. Mel, before we bullpen. not that that matters, they're going to win the division by twenty five games again this year, probably. Yeah. But before we let you go, um, normally Santa Claus for the Washington Nationals is a guy named in his real life named Scott Boris. Uh, <laughs> is there a shot that he could deliver, say, a Jake Arrieta to the Washington Nationals? Always a possibility, but I think this time probably not probable, simply because. The Nats got to save their coins, and they got to do uh, they got to they got to do everything they can to sign Bryce Harper. They're pretty set in their pitching staff. But having said that, with Joe Ross coming back from Tommy John, Tanner Rourke a free agent after 2019, Gio Gonzalez a free agent after 2018, they could actually say this offseason, "Hey, let's go get a Jake Arrieta, let's go get an Alex Cobb for something down the road because we need to have a strong rotation down the road behind Scherzer and Strasburg." I don't know what's going to happen, but it wouldn't be out of the question if the Nats said, "Hey, let's start planning for eight. Let's start planning for nineteen and twenty a little bit, and let's go after somebody like Arietta or Alex Cobb." If you if it's not the Nationals, what's your best guess on Arietta's uh, locale? Is it Milwaukee, Philadelphia? Oh man, that's a, that's it's a, a tricky. I think Texas has got a possibility. Yep. I think Texas has got a possibility. I think. I think if the right if the price is right, the Angels need some starting mm-hmm. pitching. They've beefed up their offense, but they need some starting pitching as well. The Brewers have like twenty five million or thirty million left on their. That's about all they have on their payroll. Right. The Brewers, even being a small market team, could afford him. So could the Twins. Yep. You know, if the Twins are in on you, Darvish, then they could be in on Jake Arrieta. The thing is with Jake Arrieta, they're asking for one hundred eighty million to two hundred million. Way too expensive for a 32-year-old pitcher. Right, but if yeah. his price drops, there could be a lot of teams interested. And I think teams like the Twins and the Brewers could be a surprise. I know Mel was joking a little bit about the Nationals winning the division by, by 25, 25 games. games but but I, I, I know I expect them to win it going away. But there are two teams, or at least one in my mind, is going to be marketably improved, Phillies. and that's going to be the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, I, I think depending gonna, on yeah. what they do, depending on what they do with that pitching staff over the course of the offseason heading into the year, uh, that that's a good young lineup, Mel. It is, Craig. That's a great point. And, you know, I was looking at the Phillies. You know, I just realized, I didn't realize this last year, but I realized that now the Phillies were 500 after the All-Star. After, yeah, right absolutely. around 500 after, in the final 60 or 70 games. And I look at their. I agree with you. They have a a super prospect and a great kid at virtually every position. And I'm thinking, why did they sign Carlos Santana? I yeah. thought they needed more pitching than than they do. But they think they think with Santana, that's going to stabilize the clubhouse and give them some offense. But I get the feeling they're not done because I do not see how they can contend with the pitching staff they have behind yeah. Aaron Nola. They've got yeah. good I, prospects, but I, nobody outside of Nola. Has pitched in six months. I think they're going to make a splash with one of these big pitchers, you know, Arietta or or Lynn or uh, Cobb. I think they're the yeah. team. All right, Mel. Many thanks. Happy holidays. Maybe we can grab you before spring training, uh, and then uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. 
Glad to help you guys. All Keep right. up the good work. Thank you. And Thank Lord, you. And Lord yeah. knows we need the help. We need all the help we can get. Yes. <laughs> What's that? We need all the help we can get, Mel. Oh, you guys are legends. <laughs> yes, right. there we go. Legends yeah. again in our own mind. Uh, before we do something else um, with some content that we recorded yesterday, I want to remind you that if you want Chick-fil-A on Sundays, you better act today. With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. That's right. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays, perfect for tailgating, birthday, office, and I stress holiday parties. Again, with uh, the holidays coming up, today would be a great day to get out and get Chick-fil-A and their reheatable chilled nugget tray. All right. Yesterday, I got a chance to sit in for uh, Glenn Clark, who wanted a, a day off to do some last-minute shopping. Uh, oh, you know, two kids now. Oh, he's uh, got two gets, kids, yeah. yeah. No question about it. Well, uh, did the show with uh, Kyle Ottenheimer, and one of our guests was former Orioles minor league pitching uh, coach, uh, organizational pitching coach, Rick Peterson, who also spent time as a major league pitching coach with the Oakland A's, Milwaukee Brewers, and New York Mets. Here's our discussion with Rick Peterson. But joining us right now is Rick Peterson. Rick, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. I'm like one of Santa's helpers. How about you guys? Uh, well, we were debating about that. How much Christmas shopping do you do now online as opposed to going to the malls? Um, I do a little bit online, but I, I, I still like to just get out and, you know, get that Christmas spirit, you know? Yeah. So you like going out yeah. there in the mix and fighting for parking spots and all that? Yeah, well, I mean, do you think Santa's shopping online? Come on. <laughs> He's got well, all his got... elves making all these toys already. That is. That's a pretty amazing. Hey, we're, we're talking a little bit about the Orioles, and you were involved with the team. We don't bring you on to put you in an awkward situation to talk about a team you once worked for, but just your estimation, because you've worked for several major league franchises, do the Orioles – in your opinion, properly value, and I'm not talking about Dan Duquette, I'm talking probably at the management, high management level, do they put the right of value on on starting pitching? Oh, absolutely. I, I think everybody does. And, and I, I just think it's just starting pitching. There's, there's 30 teams and there's not, there's not 150 quality starting pitchers in the big leagues. That's the issue. And so there's, there's a scarcity of it, and, and and that's why it's just so critical that you know you really make you know really you know diligent decisions. And I think the other big factor is that you know Camden Yards, if I'm not mistaken, I think Camden Yards more home runs were hit in Camden Yards last year than any ballpark in, in all of baseball. You know, so when you look at that, you know it's really critical, and that's why you look at the value of. I know you, you asked about starting pitching, but when you look at the value of pitching itself, right? And sabermetrically, two years ago, um, the, the sabermetric experts rated Zach Britton's fastball the best pitch comprehensively in all of baseball. Why? Because it gets swings and misses, and it gets ground balls. And so it's so critical, really. And this is, you know, this is the path that you know, that I personally took as a director of pitching development for the Orioles to try the best we could to develop more ground ball pitchers. Um, if you had a choice between a ground ball pitcher and a fly ball pitcher, 
you know, you want to go for a ground ball pitcher, especially because of Camden Yards. Sure. It's so critical. So, so the years that, you know, I go back in the money ball, you know, years with the Oakland A's, we went to the playoffs four consecutive years. Hudson and Mulder were at the very, they're in the top five every year in Major League Baseball and ground ball fly ball ratio. Swing and miss is great, and I'm not diminishing the swing and miss, but if ground balls go with swing and misses, you know, now you're talking about total coverage. Rick, when you're talking about developing a pitcher into a ground ball pitcher, I think minor league pitchers, and I'd imagine that part of this is a case-by-case thing with the pitcher themselves, but do you first have to, like, is there a certain level where you have to have the pitcher and their delivery on a certain level before you're able to tweak it to make him a sinker ball pitcher? Or is can you, can you explain what the process is like to get a pitcher that's starting at A, essentially, to point C, where not only are they commanding the ball, but they're commanding it with movement? Well, f- first of all, one of the things that we've learned through TrackMan data is that, that spin rates, the, the average spin rate on an average Major League fastball is 2,200 RPMs, revolutions per minute. And they, they, they do it by revolutions per minute because if you went by revolutions per second, it would be so microscopic that you really couldn't see any differential. So, so the guys with the high spin rate, those, those are guys that are going to get more fly balls and swings and misses at the top of the strike zone. Zach, Zach Britton's spin rate on his fastball is somewhere in that 1,800 RPMs. It's like 400 RPMs below the average. So the low spin rate is what creates sink. So if you bring a pitcher in, I mean, that's part of the scouting, you know, that's part of, part of the scouting, um, what do I say, protocol now, because in a lot of these perfect game showcases and a lot of these upper scale showcases and, and also a lot of college stadiums, they have track man data. So you, you, you'll know pitcher spin rates at the amateur level before you draft them. Now, if you have a high spin rate, that's very difficult to turn a pitcher with a high spin rate into a dominant sinker ball pitcher. You can, you can have some impact without question, but, you know, we haven't learned how to, like, take a pitcher, say, with uh, 1,800 RPMs and get him to 2,500 RPMs or vice versa. It's kind of like we're, that's still a major question that we're, all, we're still all trying to figure out from a developmental standpoint. That's so it's not so much the delivery. I mean, the delivery is a big part of it. Um, but if you talk to, I would have to say that, you know, at least from my estimation, you know, Dave Duncan arguably was one of the greatest pitching coaches of our, of our, of our time era. No question and about you, it. You, you talk to pitchers, which I have many of them talk to pitchers that went over to San, St. Louis, um, that were fly ball pitchers. And you ask them like, what, you know, what did Dave Duncan do? He basically said, if you're a right-hand pitcher and you're on the third base side of the rubber, slide over on the first base side, here's a two-seam grip, and he would play with a bunch of different two-seam grips to get the right spin, and then just pound the bottom of the strike zone and get, get grounders. And if you look at every year, year in and year out, his pitching staffs were at the top of the, top of the league every year in ground ball, fly ball issue. Let me, let me get back to Zach for a minute before we talk about his injury here, the torn Achilles on his right foot. Um for all the data and everything, Zach Britton's career was really on the fringes going back to 2015. And in fact, during the offseason, the Orioles thought that Tommy Hunter was going to be their closer. It was only after Hunter struggled 
and Britton was out of options that the Orioles said, hey, let's throw him in to see if he can close a game here or there. And a, a closing genius was born. What, did the Orioles miss something in not having directed him to that early on? Or is it, again, get back to the price of or the value of starting pitching that they were trying to make him as valuable as possible? Yeah, you just answered your question. It's the value of starting pitching. And, and Zach, Britton, Zach Britton had a, you know, he really had a high-level potential to be a great starting pitcher in the big leagues, without question. And I think because of the fact that, you know, he hit a point where it kind of stalled out a little bit, and then there was a need at the back end of the bullpen, you know, Dave Wallace and Dom Chidi, you know, looked at Zach Britton and said, you know, I mean, that that's the value of when you bring other people in that are really smart and really bright in, into an organization because sometimes they they see things a little bit differently than all the people that have been seeing this the same you know the same way for for many years and they looked at Zach Britton with fresh eyes so to speak and said man you know this this guy could close you know this guy could be a dominant back end bullpen guy um, but again you have to have the makeup to be able to do it yeah. Um, it's not just the stuff. Um, I, I think I think the fact that what, what a lot of sabermetric people really miss is the, is the heartbeat and, and and the mental game of how pitchers handle that kind of pressure. And Zach Britton really settled in, and without question, was that year. I mean, <laughs> it was it's it's the best statistical year in the history any closer's of, ever had yeah, in the in history of the game. I got to ask you another one about Zach. So now we've got this this injury. Combine the injury with the fact that the Orioles really don't have the stomach to pay a closer thirteen to fifteen million dollars a year for four or five years. Is is any notion that Zach Britton could reestablish himself as a starting pitcher? Is that now totally thrown out the window because of what he's up against coming back from Achilles injury? Well, I don't think it has anything to do with the injury. I think it's just the fact that. You know, listen. When you settle in and, and you had you had a year that that was the best year ever by a closer, right? You know what? What I mean, if you had the, the the best year ever as a defensive catcher, why would you want to go to shortstop? Well, because you know? because even though Brad Brock in 2017 wasn't Zach Britton in 2016, it seems that that position is easier for the Orioles to fill rather than their starting pitching, which they've struggled with for the last 12, 14 years. They've never had consistent, good starting pitching. Right. I think it would be unrealistic to, 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 to even think that Zach can go back and send a starter, especially now with the injury. I mean, right. You know, you could talk about, you know, and, and I think you bring up the point. It's not having the stomach to pay a back-end closer or back at bullpen guy, thirteen to fifteen million dollars. It's the fact if you want one of the best, it's not the stomach. You have to have the checkbook for it. Yeah, yeah, there's no question about it. But they, but the Orioles have somehow, and this is this gets back to my very first question to you, Rick, when I asked, do they value the pitching? It dates back to Peter Angelos's philosophy that a pitcher, a starting pitcher, only pitches every five days. How how does an organization let Mike Mussina walk away over $15 million 18 years ago um, over five years. It's just it's unheard of, in my opinion. Well, you, you bring up a great point. And I think, you know, I mean, the, the issue with, with making decisions in baseball is that no matter how smart you are and how bright you are, 
Um, the best of the best make bad decisions yeah. because it's, it's, it's such an inexact science. And I think, you know, we all learn from those mistakes and you look back and say, oh, geez, you know, we had this guy and we could have done this with him, but we did this. And, and then, you know, then you start making comparisons as time goes by and hopefully, hopefully you keep consistently making, you know, better decisions as time goes by, you know, through experience and through, um, you know, but it, it is very painful when you let somebody like a Messina who you've had and you have control over and you keep, you know, go to another organization, especially when he goes, when he goes to the Yankees and, and has, the, has the back-end type of career that he has, which is a, you know, borderline Hall of Fame without question. Rick, uh, talking about that level of talent as starting pitchers going through the Orioles organization, they have a couple of guys in their rotation currently, who, while they have not quite maximized their potential yet, have the ability to be top of the end starters in the major leagues, and that's Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gaussman. Obviously, you're not as closely tied to them now as you as you were when you were part of the Orioles organization, but I imagine you've kept somewhat up to date with their careers to the point, and, and they've both had spells where they've been very good starters, but the consistency has been the issue. I want to start with Gosman, and can you talk a little bit about why it might be that he has so much issues in the first half of the season and starting off a season strong, and it appears as though he's just a different pitcher in the first half compared to the second half? I think a lot of it has to do, Kevin's got the stuff, Kevin's got the delivery. You know, he's tinkered with a, a couple things in his delivery, um, you know, back and forth, and I think it's, it's, it's very difficult but I think a lot of it has to do with the mental game. And, and that's what I wrote, you know, that's, you know, our book, Crunch Time, How to Be Your Best When It Matters Most. It talks about the mental game. And, and some guys, it takes a little bit more time before you know, they start to realize, like, how good they really, truly are. And, you know, fear, worry, and doubt creeps into that. And then you get these labels, and it depends on how much noise you listen to outside of, outside of your own space, you know, being the media. It's like, oh, Kevin always struggles in the first part of the season. You know, so he comes to spring training, and it's like, okay, he's got to answer these questions all the time. Geez, you know, why do you struggle all the time in the first part of the season? Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you know, you, you, it becomes a mental block for you, right. you know, without question. And, and, it, and you have to have that wherewithal to be able to overcome that and start to really take a look at, okay, what do I do when I do best? And really study. I think so often people, people who are evaluating their own performance, and people who are evaluating other people's performance, they start looking. When people struggle, they look at like, okay, here's all the things that are going wrong. Well, you know what? A zillion things can go wrong. The model of what goes right when it goes right is is a very slim margin. And and it, and it's really one of the things I learned, you know, years ago. Or early on in, in my life, really, you being around Roberto Clemente as a young boy and Willie Stargell and those kind of guys growing up in the, in the Pirate family, my dad was with the Pirates, is that really you want to pay attention. What do I do when I do well? How do I think? How do I feel? How do I act? How do I prepare? How do I focus on one pitch at a time? Each hitter is a separate game. Each, each inning is a separate entity. And, and really kind of be really focused on just really just that one pitch right now and be present on that one pitch. Fact is, I don't look at 32, 32, 33 starts. I look at them in five, five start, five start segments. And, and because he said five starts, I typically will get about five starts in every month. And that way I take a look at, okay, in, in these five starts, 
I'll, I'll, I'll be very fortunate if I have an A game in one in one of those five starts. That that's a good that's a good cycle for me. The other starts might be C games, and I have to figure out a way how to manage through a C game. What pitches I have working for me? What pitches do I you know? So I'm not really fighting myself, and I understand how to navigate through a lineup, hopefully three times. And that's been the big dilemma now, you know, with all the sabermetric experts because. The third time through the lineup, there's very few pitchers in the big league. Scherzer, Strasburg, um, Verlander, Kershaw. Those guys, their their batting average against them and slugging slugging percentage against them the third time through the lineup is still really good. Right. The other pitchers, the third time through, it the drop off is enormous, and that's this, that's this whole concept of bullpenning. You know, so when people would always debate, you know, where do they come up with this hundred pitches? Well, take a look at how good the pitcher does after mm-hmm. he gets to ninety pitches. Very few, very few pitchers still statistically do well after 90 pitches because they don't have the stuff sure. or they don't have uh, a sophisticated game plan to navigate through the middle of that lineup for the third time. And that, that's a real challenge, and, that, and, that's, and that's the challenge of a major league pitching coach to help a pitcher understand how to navigate through that middle, that middle of the lineup for the third time. You know, it's really interesting this year in the postseason, we really saw it it blown up a little bit where it wasn't even as so much pitch count as it was clearly about not wanting pitchers, you know, the so-so starting pitchers to face guys the third time. It wasn't even about pitch count. Right, right. And, and I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, understand, I, I understand where the stakes are at, in the postseason without question. And... You know, the times in, in Oakland when we went to the postseason, you know, we, we had top of the rotation. You know, we had three number ones. Mulder, Hudson, Zito were all three number one, you know, starting pitchers. You know, so, you know, we, we really relied heavily on those kind of guys, you know, to, to take it, you know, they, they could get to the lineup three times and, and even four times, you know, at, at, on certain occasions. You know, but when you proactively, you know, pull a pitcher out when he's in no danger whatsoever just because of the fact that historically to get through the lineup the third time, you know, it is not, has not gone very well, you know, then you, then you end up, you know, burning all your cards, yeah. you know, I mean, you only have so many aces and kings and queens, and you know once you use up the kings and queens, now you're down to jacks and pens, and they don't win very often. We're uh, talking with Rick Peterson, the author of Crunch Time, uh, a terrific book on performance and and the psychology of the game. I know Kyle's got yeah. one more, and I've got one more, and we'll let you go back to your Christmas shopping, Rick. Rick, I want, all right, all right. I wanted to ask a little bit further about just just that and the idea of pulling a pitcher because of what you think is going to happen and that's something that the Orioles seemed to kind of employ a little bit more last season as season went on and then try and piece games together with the bullpen but I want to talk specifically about the effect that that can have mentally on the guys that we were talking about before Bundy and Gosman right like when you're talking about a young pitcher a guy that you need to develop into somebody that you can lean on every fifth day how important is it to give them the chance to succeed in tough circumstances it's absolutely vital, without question, because I mean, when you when you take a look at a full season, you, you're covering roughly 1,450 innings, plus or minus. You know, so if you're going to proactively start taking all these guys out, then you're going to hit days where it's like, listen, you know, we're we're a little bit slim in the bullpen today. You know, we 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 need him to get into the seventh inning today. 
and and now now you come into that place and it's like they're looking over their shoulder like all right I mm-hmm. guess I'm about done right now right it's a fifth inning <laughs> you know? right. and and I and I think I, I I know as I know as a pitching coach in the big leagues that's one of the biggest things that we coach to with our starting pitchers of helping them understand how to look at sequences in the first time through the lineup the second time through the lineup and then into the third time through the lineup. And, and understanding that, listen, you can't attack middle of the lineup guys the exact same way every time you face them. You know, so hopefully maybe the first time through the lineup, you know, maybe nobody's on base. And you may not even go to, like, your real go-to sequences that you really need when all the money's on the table. And, and, you, and you'll go to get them out a different way knowing that, listen, I, I want to save, save my best strategy when all the money's on the table, and, and because you have to be able to get middle of the lineup guys out three different ways as you face them three different times in the course of a season, and then when you if, when you're in the midst of your own division, and you may have five starts against the Yankees, you know you're talking about 15 at bats against Aaron Judge and Sanchez, and now 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 you know, Stanton. I mean, those, those are going to be really difficult lineups <laughs> to navigate through. Yep. We know. Hey, let me let me close on two two pitchers. I said I had one question left for you, but I'm going to ask you about two pitchers. Uh, I'm a big Chris Tillman fan, both as a pitcher and as a guy, a stand-up guy. He never complained about injury. He talked more about having lost a release point due to injury in in 16 that still affected him in 17. If you were on Oriole management side. Can you still bet on Chris Tillman, not in a big way, $15 million a year, but on a, a contract with some incentives? Can you still bet on Chris Tillman? Well, here, here's the issue, and that's a great question. Number one, the people who know the history of what Chris Tillman's injuries and what he deals with on a daily basis, and I'm not talking about injuries that, that allow you to miss time and go mm-hmm. on the disabled list. I'm talking about when you're pitching through discomfort and nagging, you know, body parts that are, you know, not so comfortable. And only the Orioles know, know best where, where, where he is physically and medically. And, and if they feel that, that he can come back and bounce back yep. you know, and be really physically healthy, because as I watch Chris Tillman, and, and I love Chris Tillman, and, yep. and everything that you said about Chris Tillman, I'll, I'll times a hundred. Mm-hmm. He's a wonderful guy. He's a hard worker. He's diligent. He's focused. He's motivated. He's disciplined. I mean, everything that you want to say good about a person as a competitor and, and a teammate, Chris Tillman represents that without question. And, and I, and as I watched Chris Tillman the last couple of years, it, 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 I just know instinctively watching him as a pitching goes going, he's, he's not physically right. Yeah. This is, he's, he's just not right. You know, yeah, I mean, you can see it, you know, without question. There's not that, there's not that effortless, you know, when Chris Tillman's right, you know, and I saw Chris Tillman in AAA before he came up to the big leagues. Um, I think that was my first year with the O's in 2012. Yep. And, I mean, his stuff is electric. I mean, even, and, and I'm not talking about just high-end velocity, but, but he's got that late, he, he, he's got high spin rate to his fastball. Yeah. And so when, when you watch him, and, and and that ball like 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 hitters swing through that fastball that's up in the strike zone, I mean that, that's electric. I mean if he's healthy, the answer is yes. I mean that's a that's a really great bet on Chris Tillman for potentially thirty two starts. Right, but if he's but if he's not healthy, 
you know, that, that's a whole other issue. And, and I think what you see with pitchers, as they go through these nagging, you know, discomfort, not, not injuries that keep them off the field, but injuries that allow them to perform underneath the potential, sometimes, it, you know, the longer you keep pitching that way, it just eats into, it just eats into your good stuff. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when your legs aren't fresh and, you know, you're, you're nagging injuries and you feel like when you're running, it's like you're running in quicksand, you know, as opposed to running with the wind at your back. And and I think that's the biggest factor with Chris Tillman. And, and because of that, you know, he got beat up mentally as yeah. well. I mean, it's tough going out there, like, you know, getting punched in the face, you know. And, okay. and um, you know, but I, I, I see Chris Tillman having a big comeback year this year, regardless of who, he, who he's with this year, provided the fact that he's really healthy. All right, now let's close on the, the where we started with Zach Britton. Zach uh, tore the Achilles on his right foot. They've said that the surgery went well, also that there are different ways to tear that tendon, and he, if there was a, such a thing as a positive out of this, his, his tendon didn't recess. It kind of stayed there. Uh, what is he facing now in a, a comeback from an Achilles heel? Well, my my understanding from talking to some of the medical people that I respect is that this is it, it's it's very similar in, in a way because it is a tendon. The UCL is a tendon. You can't cheat the process. It's not like it, it's not like other injuries where you know, like it could be four to six months, but mm-hmm. it turns out being four because right. like you had a speedy recovery. It's like the UCL. You're not coming back and pitching competitively before 12 months. It's just not, it's not happening. It's just not happening. And especially if you're a hard thrower, you know, now it's like now, now the track record's 14, 17 months. So it's not like, wow, this is really going well. I'll be back in eight months. So, so this Achilles, my understanding that it was very positive, that it wasn't as complicated as what, it's what you just, just mentioned. The fact that the surgery went exceptionally well, I mean, that's great news. But you, you can't cheat. Tendons take time to heal, yeah. and you can't. It, it, it's not. A, it, it's not. You can't cheat the process. You can't speed it up faster than it normally takes. So he's he's probably looking at, I think realistically, you know, five or six months before yeah. he's actually going to be competitive. I think I, I don't think there's any hope to say like, geez, is it possible this this could happen so quick that he's back like right at the end of spring training? You know, probably not because the real danger. The danger with trying to cheat the process is that you can extend this and multiply this you yeah. know, and make it a lot longer than what it actually can yeah. possibly be. It sounds like June 1st at the very earliest and more likely July 1st. Uh, I think that's realistic, yeah. yeah. Rick, happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you for jumping on board with us and uh, uh, doing this discussion. All right? Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. Have a great holiday, and uh, hopefully you guys got your letters out to Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Rick. Appreciate it. You got it. Anytime, guys. All right. You got it. And that's Rick Peterson, former Major League pitching coach and former organizational pitching coach for the Baltimore Orioles organization. That was yesterday when Stan the Fan filled in for Glenn Clark along with Kyle Kyle Ottenheimer. That's a tough one to say. Kyle Ottenheimer on the Glenn Clark radio show. That's that's (laughs) Sparkles. What's his his name? 
Well, sparkle Sneaky. Sparkle Sneaky. Sparkle Sneaky. That's the way he kind of, I said to close out, go to the commercial yeah. break. He's got to go into a long diatribe. diatribe. <laughs> <Yeah>. Kyle Ottenheimer. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be back with the last segment of the show with uh, Preston Palmero joins us right after this. How can you make a sunny beach with great music, great food, and a great cause even better? Just have water. Join us on Saturday, January 27th for the Maryland State Police Polar Bear Plunge at Any Point State Park. My name is Carmen, and your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sport. Go to plungemd.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by Aerotech, New Day USA, St. John Properties, Flying Dog, and Zest. What we do with our lives defines us, so consider a path that gives you an array of opportunities for your future. The U.S. Army gives you skills and experiences that make you a well-rounded person. With many ways to serve that align with your goals, you'll become a stronger individual. Find out more at GoArmy.com. You may qualify for up to a $40,000 signing bonus. Start your future today at www.goarmy.com slash football. There's strong, then there's Army Strong. Paid for by the United States Army. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, a touching family story for the holidays as Bo Smolka profiles Raven safety Eric Weddle, a man whose family and faith are every bit the priority that football is. Plus, 10 questions with Ravens cornerback Brandon Carr and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Parkcell Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime of every game. Glenn Clark goes live on Pressbox's Facebook page to chat about how the Ravens have performed thus far. And after the game... Glenn is joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, to break down all aspects of what went right or wrong for Baltimore. Watch live at Facebook.com slash Sports. Project Game Day is presented by ParXL and also brought to you by the U.S. Army. We'll see you for Project Game Day. 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410-931-0031. And welcome back to the Bat Around for this Saturday, December 23rd, our last segment and last show before Christmas. That's right. That's right. That's so, right. And our special guest. really good with the calendar. There you go. <laughs> As opposed to fishing around like, oh, what day is this? <laughs> All right. Our final segment and our special guest right now is uh, the son of Raphael Palmero, former Oriole. He is Preston Palmero, who has spent... Uh, the early part of his pro career now in the Orioles organization, first with Aberdeen, last year with Delmarva, where he had a pretty good year, 13 homers, 77 RBI. Uh, Preston, welcome to the bat round. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, let me ask you something. You, you, you 13 homers, 77 RBI last year, 253 average, so the slash line is 253, 319, 399. I know you feel that that can be better, but overall, that year with Delmarva last year, after a slow start, you really came on and got into an offensive groove. Yeah, I mean, I would say the final numbers, some people probably look at it and, and kind of be like, well, you know, there's a lot of a lot of low numbers, I guess, in that triple slash line. But uh, like you said, from where I started at the beginning of the year, it's almost a miracle that I made it to that point. Um, I had a really tough opening month, and... From there, I kind of picked it up, and I was able to find some consistency throughout the year, and uh, kind of trailed off again at the end. But you know, it's the first full season. You know, you, know, you learn a lot, and you kind of you learn how to deal with a, a full year of baseball. What was the biggest adjustment that you made to 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 improve those numbers? Because obviously, I got a chance to see a couple of the at bats when we were down there, and I talked to you. Uh, but what were some of the adjustments that you had to make? Well, he was probably first um, of all, Preston. To, Preston, to, sorry to interrupt you. You were probably really pressing, knowing Craig Heist was in, yeah. in the audience <laughs> yeah, that night. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what it was. I, I was a little worried he was there. You know, big time guy uh, out there watching me. But uh, no, I just, I don't know. I just got out of the gate and I, I got off to a slow start. And I think I was, I was actually pressing then. You know, I was, I was a little worried. And um, you know, coming from just you know high school, college. You know, you don't play obviously the 140 game schedule, and a lot of times you just you kind of worry about, man, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, and when you realize that, you know, 25 games go by and there's still another 115 out there for you to play, you can kind of slow down and just you know find some things and start working. I just try to take it day by day and get to a point where, you know, I was making good, consistent, hard contact, and I just tried to you know, go from there, take it as long as I could. And, um, you know, things, it took a while. I mean, I started feeling better in early May and I would say it didn't till about early June is when I finally kind of clicked and took off. But I mean, with it being a long season, the biggest thing for me was realizing that I had time and that there was no real reason to press so much and I could just kind of be myself. 
We're talking with Preston Palmero. He played his uh, second uh, professional season with the Delmarva Shorebirds. Preston, a long time ago when I started out in talk radio, there was a guy who worked for the Orioles. He was one of the early stat guys. You know, that today they'd call it the metrics and all that stuff. And one of the things he always pointed out to me is to watch a hitter, how they progress in the strikeout-to-walk ratio. Yours, mm-hmm. yours was not horrible, but it's it's not great either. Are you aware of that, the need to improve that and thereby improve on base percentage? 100%. I mean, I I would say that my, my strikeouts are way too high. Um, I think anybody that, you know, ignores that, that stat – um, do, do you know? know do you know the number from last year? I don't know it exactly off the top of my head. One thirty-three. Too much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was one. Th- that, it was one thirty-three to forty-three. What would you think would um, be good? Would it be like a hundred to sixty? Would you be happier there? Uh, yeah, I would say that if that had been the numbers, I'd be happier yeah. with that. Obviously, I would like to get it as close to one to one as possible. Um. You know, even if it was 100 strikeouts, you know, you would like to walk 100 times because then at least you kind of have, like, almost, you know, it cancels out. You were productive one time, and you were completely unproductive another time, you know. And it, um, I would prefer to not strike out ever. I would prefer to have had 43 strikeouts and 43 walks. Right. Because um, that probably means I would have been getting a lot of hits. But um, the strikeout thing is something that I have to improve. I mean, I think – in baseball today people strike out and nobody really thinks too much about it and i hate it and it's i mean i i guess people that usually strike out a lot people think that they don't really care about it but it's frustrating and i try to get better at it and it's something i'm well, you know aware of and i want to work on and, and just keep getting better at and well remember getting more comfortable with two strikes remember when i asked the question i said this stat guy early stat guy said look at the ratio he didn't say he was he wouldn't have been worried about your number of strikeouts it's the relationship to the walks because then when you get the walks thrown in there it starts to improve that on base percentage and suddenly you're yeah exactly That's the thing. I mean, like i said if yeah if i struck out a hundred times I would need to walk at least close to 100 or you know 90 something up there where you're getting on it still a respectable amount. I'm sure I'm sure you get a lot of input uh, from your dad, but mm-hmm. in, in that progression last Did year, his dad play ball. Oh yeah, his dad played a lot of good ball. Uh, but uh, what was Ryan Miner like as a sounding board for you? Your 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 manager at Delmarva. Miner was awesome. He was. I mean, he's a really He's a calm manager. You know, he's real laid back, real easy, um, real easy guy to play for. He teaches um, a lot, you know, during the games as, as little things happen that are kind of, uh, that are different, you know, that, that aren't the obvious baseball things. He kind of points them out like the finer points of the game. Um, and he, you know, he pulled me aside a couple times early in the year when I was struggling and he told me, you know, hey, just, you know, don't worry, relax, you know. We know you're you're better than what you're doing, and you're a good player. So he was he was great to to play for. I love playing for Miner. Well, it's funny because when 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 the record got to be what it was in August and things of that nature in terms of the team, and you guys were dealing with uh, some injuries, I know. Uh, but the other part of it was I always remember seeing quotes from Ryan going, "Well, you know, 
we we need Palmero in that cleanup spot and, and things. Yeah, so you exactly. guys you guys dealt with a lot of things last year. We did, we did. Um, but I mean, it was a fun year. I mean, baseball is just—it's kind of like that, you know. Just, just a, just a general learning experience, I guess, right? Yeah, it really is. I mean, um, sorry, my dog is going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Not at the least, right time to have my dog outside, but at least, it, at least um, that explains it. Do you need to run over and get him? No, no I'm good. I got all him. All right, We're all fine. right, super. Sorry what's your dog? That, what anyway, kind of dog is it? English Bulldog. Yeah. Oh, and what's his Mom, name? Mom Lynn has a lot of those. <laughs> she does, yeah. She let him out. I'm on the phone, but his name is Winston. Winston. Tell Winston we yeah. said hello. That's right. So, I will. So He's what's off. The, He's being a better dog now. What's your game plan as you see it? Do you think you're ready for that next step up to Frederick? Has the club uh, talked to you a little bit about that? How does that get determined? Um, I think that's something more determined in spring training, um, kind of based on how you perform, you know, usually you go in and we have like an, an entrance meeting, I mm -hmm. guess is what it's called. And they kind of talk to you about the year and the plan and, you know, what they think, um, your goals should kind of be and based on the, the type of spring training you have. And, uh, I think Frederick is, is a realistic, um, shot for me next year. And, um, I mean, I think, I think I'm ready for that jump. It's just a matter of, of me going into spring training and, you know, showing that I've grown as a player and that, you know, I'm ready to take another step. Well, now you did get a chance to play in one of the Orioles major league games in spring training last year. Am I correct with that? Yeah, I played in the, uh, the very first game last yeah. year in spring training. So what was that experience like just to be, I mean, I know you grew up around it, and you were at the ballpark all the time with Dad, but when you, all of a sudden, you're standing out there on first base or you're, you're in the batter's box, what was that like to be out there and just take a look at your, around at your surroundings? It was honestly one of the most, like, nerve-wracking experiences of my <laughs> life. Um, I mean, it was incredible, though. It was up there with incredible as well. You know, I, uh, I really wasn't expecting that, um, especially on – the first day of spring training and um i was down in florida for early camp and it was seven thirty-eight in the morning whatever i'm having my breakfast over on the minor league side and somebody comes in and grabs me like hey you got to go over to the big league side you got to go play with the big league team and i'm like what you know like i'm not expecting this at all this is not how i'm expecting my friday to go right and so i i go over and um you know, they're like, hey, just, just go with the team. You know, somebody can't play. I think it was David Washington couldn't play that day. It hurt his shoulder or something. So I was there to fill in for Mancini if, uh, whenever he came out of the game. And I remember I was just kind of – the first throw I made in warm-ups, I threw into the stands, by the way, just to, uh -huh. to let you know how nervous I was. And, you know, I'm doing all my stuff, take VP, whatever. I'm sitting there for seven innings, not doing anything. And all of a sudden they're like, hey, Trey gets a hit. You're going in and running. So I haven't played in a game in four months. I haven't run the bases in four months. First thing I got to go do is, is run the bases. And I'm just <laughs> terrified. I'm like, man, just don't get picked off. Whatever you do, do not get picked off or you'll never play in the big league. Did, did, did Buck say anything to you or not? Um, no, he kind of I, – I mean, I said hey to him. Um, the Like towards the end of the game, I didn't, I didn't really want to bother him. I mean, I, for one, I was I – was, terrified enough i just didn't really want to get in his way you know what i mean 
first day of spring training, their games. I know he's watching a lot of guys. He's got a lot, a lot more important things going on than worrying about me, but I just I kind of wanted to stay out of his way. We used to have a guy here in Baltimore, Charlie Ekman, who did radio yeah. for a long, long time, and his, one of his great phrases was, it's a very simple game. And it's not all that simple, is it? It's not. It's like, <laughs> I was, it's, you think it's like just run, throw, catch, and hit, and it's like the farthest thing from that. You know, it's, it's a chess game. Let me ask you, uh, have you touched, el- rubbed elbows yet with Terry Crowley, one of the organization's old-time uh, hitting instructors uh, throughout the organization? I have, I have not. I know him from when my dad played, though. Yeah. But I haven't, since I've, uh, since I've signed, I haven't. All right. Well, if you see him down there at Twin Lakes this year, tell him we said hello. Uh, Absolutely. And, and start to pick his brain as much as possible. Uh, he's I one will. of the, he's that's, really that's one of the do. yeah he's one of the really good people in baseball and can teach hitting as well as anybody. All right, one of the other reasons we wanted to have you on the show, and you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, privately, is that all of a sudden a story, a couple of stories get written, and and it surfaces that uh, Dad is thinking about a comeback at age fifty three. Now, number one, I know the swing is probably something that never leaves. But, you know, you told me how great a shape he is in. What, what is his thinking on this now as he gets to come, you know, maybe does this? If he's um, going he's, to do this. He's, he's 100% bought in. I mean, he's all about it. He, um, he's 100% convinced he can do it. And every day he has me more and more convinced he can. Um, I just think it's a matter of a team – you know, I think really the long shot is a team taking a chance on him. I don't think yeah. the long shot is him being able to hit or play. Um, I just don't think he's really in a spot. If it, if it was six years ago and he was, you know, 47 and he was six years out of the game, I think people would be taking it a lot more serious. Um, and I think a lot of teams kind of heard, you know, saw the article, heard some of the stuff, and were just like, oh, you know, whatever, it'll blow over. But he's still on it. I mean, he still really he still really wants to get back in the game. Is, play. is he committed enough where you think if a certain team came to him and said, hey, we'd like you to play independent ball for 30 days or something to show us what you got, do you think he would do that or it's either major leagues or bust? I mean, he says that, you know, he wants to – I mean, he basically just wants to go back straight to the big leagues, but I think that that's easier to say that without somebody throwing that opportunity to you. Yeah. You know, if somebody well, I, came I was, up and yeah. said, hey, you go play 30 days in independent ball and you show us that you can still play, you know, we'll sign you and you can you can come back to the big leagues. Or, you know, you go to AAA and, you know, for a week or two weeks and prove that you can, you can do it in affiliated ball and then you'll be in the big leagues. To me, that, that is a hard offer to, to turn down it's easier to say no way i'm doing that yeah and that offer's not on the table and then when somebody throws hey you know six weeks of baseball just showing us you can do it and you're back in the big leagues i think most guys would would you know jump at that offer you, you know why i throw that out there preston because to me it's not just whether he still has the swing whether he can still hit the ball it's can he can he do it and run the bases i'm not even talking about playing first base but let's say he was a designated hitter, but can he run the bases without pulling a muscle? 
you know, the way he could have when he was yeah. 33, you know. I mean, that, that again, like, that's a – to me, that's another thing that won't be, you know, found out until you play because, you know, everybody can do all the working out and all the running you want. And guys do it all, you know, all off season, and they go to spring training. And three days into spring training, guys get hurt. Yep. Because preparing to for baseball activity, the only way you can do it is by, you know, getting back out there and having those four hour workouts where you, you know, run the bases and you do cutoffs and relays and you do ground balls. And baseball shape is a weird thing. And you know, I think it's it's pretty easy right now for him to say, "I feel good. My legs feel good." And, you know, I feel like I can go do this. It'd be different. You know, I'm sure he would have maybe the same answer or a different answer if he went through a couple of weeks of spring training to kind of get a feeling. And, I mean, I think that it would be more real. I think he could run and right. do it. I really do. I think his, he's in good enough shape. Um, I think the thing would be 160 games, playing first base, hitting, running the bases, traveling, all that. I just, I don't know. I mean, no. I think offensively he would hold up. I just don't know about, you know, running and stuff. But if anybody could do it, it's probably him. Well, now you and I have had this conversation before in, in terms of back when I talked to you and we had you on this show in, in back in May, I think it was. But how much of this now with him is – Obviously, it didn't end. The career did not end the way he wanted it to for the reasons that are well documented. But how much of this is just proven it's proven to himself that, yeah, I can still do this, but also, also kind of go out on his own, own terms. terms? Yeah, I think it's more of that than, than anything. It's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily um, – I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, he wants to get back to the big leagues and this. It's more to him about – kind of riding off into the sunset his way yeah. and, you know, writing his final chapter yeah. because, you know, everybody dreams of Tony Gwynn, Cal Ripken Jr. retirement where, you know, you play in the all-star game, you know, you hit the home run and then you're, you're done and it's just like, you know, you're golden and your career is perfect and that, and, you know, Derek Jeter hits a walk-off hit in his last at bat and it's like, man, could, it, could you know, things have ended any more perfect. And for 99% of baseball players, it doesn't end like that. Yep. You know, it's not always so bad, but it doesn't really end the way you want it to. And I think for him, he would like to just be the one that gets to say, this is how my final chapter of baseball ends. You know, yeah. I made it back. I played. I showed that I could do it. Now I'm leaving the game because I want to, not because... Because I'm pushed. Nobody out. wants yeah. me there. Yeah, you know what I mean. You know, it's interesting. You use the phrase. You know, um, if anybody can do it, I know he can. I had that same sense when Jim Palmer tried to come back. After how many years had he been retired? Yeah, a couple. About, he had been, been gone a couple three of years. Or four years. Right, and then and then the game in uh, Fort Myers against the Red Sox. Right. Uh, he pitched and wound up hurting himself again. Yep. And then at that point in time, that comeback. And you could t- I mean, the motion was there, the velocity was there, all the things that we've come to know Jim Palmer for down through the years was there. Yep. And and Except I think it age. was like, well, I think he, he knew, he felt like he could do it, but the body told him otherwise. Yep. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I really don't know because it's, it's easy to sit here and watch him hit, you know, off 
off the tee or, you know, BP and I've hit him some ground balls and see him run. And, and there are people that are, anybody can do that. Anybody that's playing professional baseball at any level looks pretty good doing all those things. Um, I really, I think he can do it. I honestly do. I, I believe that if, you know, if he got the opportunity, he would, he would be successful. Um, I just, I don't know how how likely it is, you know, at this point. Hey, Preston, before we let you go, let me let me pick your brain as a scout, Preston Palmero. Okay. The Orioles <laughs> the Orioles made a trade about six weeks ago. They acquired an outfielder, Jacob Brugman, from the Oakland A's, and it was mm-hmm. announced the other day that they gave up a pitcher named Jake Bray, who was yeah. two and five with a three point eight eight ERA, but in fifty one innings struck out eighty two Walked only 14. Did the A's get themselves a prospect here? Yeah, I mean, I think the I think Jake is really good. I played with him in um, Aberdeen for a few weeks, my first season, and then he went up to Delmarva, and then I was with him all year this year. And um, you know, I think he's he's uh, he's kind of a, a prospect in terms of being a. Uh, in terms of being a closer, um, he was pretty much lights out for us. Yep. Um, and the only issue, you know, with our team is that we didn't win a lot, so there weren't a ton of save opportunities for him. But as far as I know, I think he was at the top, or he led the South Atlantic League in saves. I mean, he had eighteen. He, uh, he had eighteen of them. Yep. I mean, he was pretty locked down. I mean, he had a lot of times. He, you know, ninth inning rolled around, maybe eighth inning, close game one or two run lead Bray was coming in and you know he was he's a big time strikeout guy like you said and you know for a for a late inning reliever like that I um you know that's big and I he, I know he's not on like you know baseball America or minor league baseball but uh you know those top prospect lists but he's um he's kind of a sneaky mm-hmm. you know a sneaky prospect where I think that you know, being being a pitcher like that, you can move kind of quick, striking out a lot of guys, proving that you can get batters out late in the game. I mean, that's you've seen how incredibly valuable that is, and valuable that is in the big league. So, you know, I think that that's the you know good for the A's that they got him. You know, I like Jake; he was really good for us. But um, I think he's kind of a sneaky prospect. All right, Preston. We hope you sneak up into the uh, higher realms of the Orioles uh, minor league organization. We're going to keep our eyes on you and hoping you're at Frederick uh, come opening day of the Keys this year. Tell Mom and Dad we said uh, happy holidays, too, and tell Dad I'll try to give him a call here in the not-too-distant future. All right, guys. Sounds good. All right. Thanks very much, Preston. Happy holidays to you. All right. Really good kid. Yeah. Really good kid. You can see he really is. All right. We're going to take a final word, uh, a final timeout, and then be back with a final word right after this. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square can cater your holiday party, and now you can order the catering trays and delivery online. Go to Chick-fil-A.com and select Nottingham Square as your store and place your order. Did you know that Chick-fil-A offers the Grilled Chicken Bundle, a catering tray where everyone can build their own grilled chicken sandwich? Plus, Chick-fil-A offers chicken nugget catering trays with up to 200 nuggets per tray and chicken strip trays with up to 75 chicken strips. Call Steve at the Nottingham Square Chick-fil-A. You can pick it up or he'll bring it to you. That's 410 931 
1-800-273-0031. The Par Excel Early Phase Unit at Harbor Hospital is looking for healthy males and females ages 18 to 85 to volunteer for a clinical research study. Length of participation and number of visits vary by study. If you qualify, you may receive compensation ranging from $1,200 to $8,500 upon completion. For more information, please visit our website or call 1-877-617-8839. Call now. Full Circle Tire and Auto would like to thank the Harford County Sheriff's Department and the Baltimore County and Baltimore City Police Departments. Any active or retired employee can receive 8.75% off up to $100 on any service. We are proud to serve you. Thank you for serving us. The deal lasts through January 31st, and that's Full Circle Tire and Auto at 410-676-CARS. That's 410-676-2277 at 1304 Governor's Court, Suite 110 in Abingdon, Maryland. Full Circle Tire and Auto.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressboxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressboxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, never. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit GiveTheGoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's GiveTheGoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Great music, great food, and a great cause. For an even better time, just add water. Water from the Chesapeake Bay at Sandy Point State Park. My name is Michael Hape, and I am an athlete with Special Mix Maryland. Your support helps me achieve my dreams of being a greater part of my community through sports. Choose to plunge at the Maryland State Police Hobart Plunge on January 27th. Go to plungemd.com to sign up today. Proudly sponsored by New Day USA, St. John Properties, Aerotech, and Kelly Generators. And we are back on the bat around the guys of the bat around. Stan the fan, Craig Heist, and Bonzatufa. The bat around guys. That's right. That's right. And in a couple weeks, we may not be able to say the bat around guys. We'll see how that pans out. But we'll we'll say the bat around people. The bat around folks. That's right, folks. Folks are as good as the people. Uh, very interesting interview with uh, Preston Palmero. I found him to be well spoken, incredibly honest, yeah, uh, and forthright about. All things. All about things. His career. Yeah, good kid. And, and good you kid. know, if you talk to certain scouts, they'll say, you know, he lacks a lot of the things that it would take to make the major leagues. Right. And whether or not that happens or not, I mean, to me, really isn't necessarily the point. It's about following your dreams, following – and, I mean, he's good enough to make pro ball. 
uh, let's see where it takes him from here. Yeah, uh, and I think he had a healthy understanding of the things he needs to work on. You know, when I asked him that question about strikeouts to walks, he was focused on the strikeouts. Yeah. I wasn't as much focused on the number of strikeouts. It's the ratio that shows that you your pitch recognition is there. And those are things that can come, but they got to come. You don't suddenly develop that at 26, 27. That's what he's got to develop these next two years. Right. And one thing that I did notice watching a few of his at-bats down in Delmarva, he can hit the ball for power to the opposite opposite field. field. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, many thanks for being here. Uh, yeah. You got a football game to go cover. Redskins, uh, excuse me, Colts. Now Redskins Indian- are tomorrow. <laughs> Indianapolis Colts at uh, Indianapolis Colts at the Baltimore Ravens today. So thirteen and a half points spread by the experts. Uh, is this one of those games that the Ravens can win forty to nothing? And it is. I mean, you know, if they have everything going, defense and. You know, we'll see how much pressure they put on the Colts' offense, which has been kind of hit and miss here. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it's a game that the Ravens should win and continue to try to make the playoffs. Uh, but it's also a game I could see if we have if we revert back to some of the things that happened earlier in this year with this ball club, I think it's a possibility where this could be a very, very close game. Now, keep in mind, the Ravens, for the first half of the season, averaged 18 points a game. Here over the last five, six weeks, they've been averaging they've 30. 30. Yeah. Yeah. So. The key is, the defensively, the Ravens have turned the ball over a lot. I know the Colts mm-hmm. are not very good offensively either, but their quarterback, at times, impresses me. Yeah, he can. He can be pretty decent. Uh, again, it'll be interesting to see how they – plan to do this. I think if they make him throw the ball 40, 45 times, right. Colts don't have much of a shot at winning this game. But it's also going to be very, very difficult for the Colts to run the football against this defense. Correct. All right. Well, that, there you have it. Uh, Orioles' uh, offseason continues like stuck in the mud. Right. Uh, we'll see if uh, anything changes shortly into the new year. We're back next Saturday on the 30th. You're here, yes. correct? Yes, I am. All right. Bonzatufa will be here. Guys, happy holidays to you. Uh, we've already celebrated my religious holiday, Hanukkah. Uh, but uh, to you and your families, happy and uh, healthy Merry Christmas to you. Yep. All right. That does it for the bat around this Saturday. Thanks to Bonzatufa and our guests today, which were Rich Dubroff, Mel Antonin, Rick Peterson, and as you just heard, Preston Palmero. Those interviews are there on the archive at pressboxonline.com slash radio, and you can check out the bat around. Tomorrow, same time, same station, will be Ken Zalis and Sarita Hubbard with the NFL Chick. By the way, halftime today and postgame, Glenn Clark will be here with Project Game Day along with the NFL Chick, Sarita Hubbard. Craig Heist now may decide not to go to the game, yeah. and he may hang here to see the NFL Chick. That does it for our show. Have a great holiday, everybody.